We're Jill and Jenna, sisters who believe that gut health is the baseline required to live your best life. But health is way more than that. So we've made it our mission to take a deep dive into gut health, mental health, fitness, nutrition, and more. Interviewing experts, having real conversations, all while making sure all of the information is digestible. Welcome Welcome to to our our gut talk. Jill and I have been using these electrolytes for a while now. And recently we made a video saying we don't drink a lot of plain water and the responses were interesting. Let me explain further. To properly hydrate, you want to include water with electrolytes. Hear me out. When you sweat, you are losing water and sodium. Both of these need to be replaced to prevent headaches, muscle cramps, energy dips, confusion, and more. I used to get a cramp after big workouts, especially at night that would wake me up. It was that really deep cramp that hurt like hell. If you've had one, you know what I'm talking about. But after drinking electrolytes with my water, I cannot remember the last time that that's happened. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. They also boost performance and recovery. Element, spelled L-M-N-T, is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a science-backed electrolyte ratio with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Jill and my favorite flavors are the raspberry and watermelon salt. We also love citrus. What we do is we add the electrolytes to a big reusable bottle of water and sip on it all day. So if you're someone who constantly says you need to drink more water, this might be right up your alley. It also makes drinking water fun. We have a deal for the Gut Talk community. You can go to drinkelement.com. That's drinkelement.com slash guttalkgirls. We also link it in the show notes to get a free Element sample pack when you make any purchase through our link. The Element sample pack includes one packet of every flavor. This is perfect for anyone who's interested in trying all the flavors or if you want to introduce a friend to Element. So try it out and let us know what you think. Welcome back to another episode of Gut Talk. Woohoo! And we are back. Jenna, we have a really cool expert in the health field this week. Who do we have? We absolutely do. We have Dr. Lat Manser. He has a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics. And he's the research lead for HVMN and a podcast host for the HVMN podcast. Now, his story, which you'll hear in the episode, starts really where his family had a lot of health issues, especially his father. He actually ended up losing his father to a cardiovascular disease. What Lat decided to do was learn science, basically, and then take that approach by helping tons of people like us and yourselves today. Yeah, he didn't like that doctor said that obesity was genetic, and Mm -hmm. he didn't feel like that was going to be his destiny just because it it ran in his family history. And the really cool part about Lat and the reason that we're so excited to have him on the podcast is he is the exact... DNA of the type of podcast guest we want. He is an expert. And when he speaks in his language that he's comfortable with, it flies right over my head. 
And what we had him do was break it down for the person who just wants to understand the basics. We talk about your metabolism and understanding what it actually is. Can you speed it up? Can you slow it down? What can you do if your metabolism isn't running the way you think it might be? We also talk about fat. Is it good? Is it bad? Mm -hmm. There were so many myths that we got to debunk during this episode. But the really cool part is Lat is a guy who researches health for a living and he makes it digestible for our community to understand and we're just so excited for you all to hear this episode yeah there as jill said there's a lot of different things that we go over in this podcast some of it might be a little sciencey but we have him break everything down which you know we love to do on every single one of our podcasts so i think it's gonna get you guys your head spinning a little bit but It's going to make you more educated about yourself and help you understand your body more, which we think is one of the most critical things you can do for your health. Yeah, hopefully your head's not spinning. I think what Jenna means is your wheels turning. Your wheels turning. Exactly. And I think that you guys are going to come out with a lot of really tangible things that you can do to improve your own health and empower you to become your own health advocate because that is exactly what Lat's done for his own life. Absolutely. So let's welcome Dr. Lat on Gut Talk. I tell people all the time, yes, PhD is a qualification, is a, you know, credibility to a certain extent, but ultimately it's a piece of paper, right? Like I want people to see me as a person, as an individual who Mm -hmm. is willing to share what I know about metabolism, for example. And it's my action that probably speaks louder or not probably, but definitely has to speak louder than my qualifications. That makes me who I am. So yeah cool so feel free to call me lad if you want yeah right okay well thank you for joining us today i know you have a phd just like you said in physiology anatomy and genetics and i'm giggling because one of my best friends had to take anatomy three times in college to pass it wasn't our strong suit and so we're really excited to have you on today just to give some expert advice in areas that i think are so common right now it would be helpful for us and our listeners to understand why did you go from getting your PhD to be in this place where you're going on podcasts and you're talking about this information? I think there is so much misinformation out in the world right now, especially with the presence of social media. More and more experts in their own fields should come out and be more vocal about what information and what data that is current and should be used by people uh, to to live a healthier life. So that's, I think this is the short form of how I ended up here. But the long form of why I did what I did was because I wanted to be the bridge between the science and impacting the general public. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times when you look at scientists, they end up in labs and spending hours and hours in these amazing experiments and discovering the world, the mysteries of the world, and then publish them. But usually it takes, what, five, 10 years before this technology, before this knowledge is being imparted into the public and get implemented to actually improve people's lives. So what I want to do is to take what I know in science and still really educating myself with new data coming in every day and then use that information and translate it in the term that people can understand, one, and secondly, translate it in a way that people can actually take some advice and take some takeaways, if you would, to then implement in their own lives to improve their own lives. Yeah, I I love that. I think 
There's a lot of areas that we're gonna to cover today where I think there's a ton of misinformation and just a lot of information in general. So maybe you are just doubling down on what people already know and they can check it off their list as, okay, this is accurate, or we can debunk some, some myths today. You know, that's so funny you mentioned that because when I started this, I always thought, I was like, well, there are so many scientists out there already who's already saying the same thing. I mean, everyone's just saying the same thing. You, you work out, you eat well, you manage your stress, manage your sleep, you know, you'll be healthy, right? It's the same thing. Like everyone's saying, so I was really afraid of just being a broken record and just repeating the same thing. But then I realized there are 8 billion of us out there. They're bound to be people who have not seen the other parts, you know, the other scientists saying the same thing. So then now I'm playing my part as to the demographics that I can reach out to and say the same thing. And hopefully as a collective human race, we can then propagate these healthy behaviors so that we can then prevent risk of chronic diseases. I love that. And you know, it's so interesting, Jill and I were having a conversation with a friend a couple days ago, and she was talking about how much she's fallen into marketing traps and the traps when it comes to weight loss for women. And I think that is a place that we can really dive a little deeper into and discuss more is we've gotten so far away from how the body truly works due to this misinformation or whatever it is, marketing, whatever you want to call it. So I think it's really helpful, you know, when it comes to something like a metabolism, we were always taught speed up your metabolism, but I'm sure you have a whole different definition about what metabolism is and how we can support it. So if we can just honestly dive in right into that topic, I think that's something that needs to be discussed. I think, can we start with what is your metabolism? Yeah. Yeah, so metabolism, basically, they are divided between catabolism and anabolism. Anabolism is building up, right? So whenever we eat food, our bodies are usually in an anabolic state where we have insulin secreted. We tell the body that, okay, there's new substrates coming in, new fuel coming in. So I need to grab it, either use it or store it. So anabolism and then catabolism is the opposite so let's say you have had dinner at 8 p.m you haven't eaten since then you slept throughout the eight hours the next morning you wake up you are in a fasted state right if let's say you go for a walk and then your body needs energy so it needs to break down the storage that you have stored during dinner and that's catabolic and it creates the energy that you need for your walk, for waking up, for your brain function and all of that. So that's metabolism. Got it. So yeah, so metabolism is basically both of those combined, just both like the of, overall So our bodies term. are doing both at the same time at okay. all times. So there is, there is no switch on or off anabolism. You can be like still storing, but then you are lowering the effect of catabolism. So a lot of people, they think it's a linear thing. It's not, it's always in a flux. So our bodies are always sending signals to turn up something and turn down the other opposite thing. And to me, metabolism, like metabolic health is all about metabolic flexibility because our bodies are really good at using whatever you throw at them. And basically whatever fuel you, you, you consume, either it's fat or proteins or glucose, uh, or sugar, 
your bodies your bodies can uh, utilize them regardless. But the problem lies within the ability to switch between substrates when you are in a certain circumstance where it's needed to be switched. So for example, if you are in hypoxia, which is low oxygen environment, whether you are doing anaerobic exercises or you are up hiking in you know high altitudes, your body generally would prefer to switch over to glucose because glucose under glycolysis, it's the biochemistry uh, first pathway in the cell, it doesn't require oxygen. So it can produce fast energy without oxygen. That's why your body will switch over. Whereas fat, while fat provides way more energy, we know that fat has doubled the amount of calories compared to sugar. It is harder to burn fat. It takes longer because the beta oxidation is the process that the cell uses or the mitochondria uses to um, convert fat into energy. So it needs more oxygen and it needs more time. So that's why endurance athletes, a lot of times they talk about train yourself in the cardio zone too, because cardio zone two burns more fat so that you can run further because you are relying not only on the tank of sugar that you have in your body, but also the tank of fat, which carries way higher amount of energy compared to your sugar storage. Okay, I need you to rewind a little bit. Yes. So when our bodies start working, burning energy, we're first burning glucose? Usually, if we are looking at fast, intense exercises, mm -hmm. like anaerobic exercises, usually glucose is the go-to. But with zone two cardio, which is really big right now, I know Dr. Huberman Labs podcast has talked a lot about it. A lot of, we've seen it a lot on TikTok. When you're in zone two cardio, are you still burning glucose first? You are switching over to fat to fat and that's why they're saying oh that makes so much sense so when you want to lose weight right that's why people are recommending a lot of zone two cardio versus maybe sprints on a treadmill yeah correct oh because sprints basically switches over to glucose because you need that fast energy right and and your body can't produce that amount of fast energy via fats so that's why you are relying on glucose. However, we can go into the nuance, we can go into the details where people would argue also, if you do sprints, you're also increasing your, your sort of metabolic rate or basal metabolic rate. You're also increasing that energy expenditure. Um, and even after the sprint, you are slowly burning calories, which ultimately would tap into the fat storage. But if you're doing prolonged exercise on cardio zone two, you know for a fact that you are burning, you are burning fat because they looked at um, respiratory exchange ratio, RER. Basically it's like the, the number is like anything more than one, you are burning more glucose, anything less than one, you're burning more fat. Got it. I remember when I was a teenager and I was first understanding that you can't just eat whatever you want because you will gain weight, right? Your, your kid, maybe your kid metabolism wears off, I don't know. <laughs> I remember hearing from my mom, my mom's friends, like, oh, I have a fast metabolism or I have a slow metabolism. Are fast and slow metabolisms real? That's a very oversimplified term. Okay. Um, essentially, what we want is to be able to burn more than we, what we consume. So right. when you say fast, it's basically I'm burning more than what I consume. Now, when you say burning more, a lot of people think directly exercise. But it takes more than that because think about it. If you exercise even two hours a day, 
that's two out of 24 hours. What right. about the other 22 hours, right? You are still requiring energy. Your brain needs energy. Your heart needs energy. It never stops working, right? And then your other activities, like you walk around, you carry stuff, you clean your apartment, all that consumes energy. So there are other terms of, of um, you know, other thermogenesis, if you would, like creating heat, um, that uses your fuel, you have non-exercise um, uh, thermogenesis, you have just your basal metabolic rate, just by being, we are consuming energy. When they say fast or slow metabolism, you want the overall energy expenditure, your daily energy expenditure to be higher than what you consume if you're looking to lose weight, but ideally maintain if you're already on a healthy weight as the same calorie consumption. I think calories is such an interest, interesting topic because on one hand, there's the people that you see, and, and I'm talking about a social media perspective, those who track their macro, macros, count their calories, have specific fitness goals, doing things they are either in a deficit or surplus, depending on how much muscle they want to gain or fat they want to lose. But Let's take Jill and myself for an example where we're at right now. We're in a place of, we just want to look and feel good, right? Like we're not sitting here trying to achieve fitness goals. We just want to do our best when it comes to feeling good. What does someone like us who exercises regularly, we eat three meals a day, we find that helps us best, and we don't want to count calories. That's the thing. You know, a lot of that can become a little bit more mental pressure. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to know that we're like supporting our metabolism or making sure things are burning as they should or enough? What is it is my question. I think, I think there are a lot of um, doctors out there who would, you know, ask you to refer back to your biofeedback system, right? How you feel, what's your craving like, what's your sleep quality, what's your stress level? Mm -hmm. I think the general field, like you would know your body best. You are essentially the PhDs of your body. I tell people all the time because nobody it. would know your body better than yourself. Now, having said that, there are people with a dysfunctional biofeedback system, if they are, you know, having insulin resistance, if you they are having diabetes or whatever, um, they may not have a biofeedback that is reflecting a healthy lifestyle. That's when you need professionals, you know, doctors or endocrinologists or people who are, you know, looking at to, at your biomarkers and your hormones. But otherwise. Um, I would say, you know, rough, you know, roughly how much calorie there is in a certain food, especially if you're cooking at home. Um, it's a bit harder if you eat outside, obviously. If you are already living a healthy life and whatnot, like stop eating when you're full and eat when you're hungry. I think that's a very simple way to look at it. And obviously, if you are trying to lose weight, like I said earlier, you want to consume less um, calories than what you burn. However, it's not as simple as calorie in, calorie out either, because the quality of foods that you put into your body uh, really affects that. And I know you, I know you guys talk a lot about gut health yes. and you know seed oil and all of that and and dysbiosis of of the microbiome. Like those all make a difference because while you may be at a calorie deficit and you are losing weight, but if you are sick, if you feel demotivated, if you feel fatigued, then over time, you won't be able to keep that consistent, sustainable lifestyle or active lifestyle that you, you know, you have to like drag yourself to the gym or drag yourself for a walk because you're just not feeling well. So that both, you know, calories, 
as well as the the quality of food uh, they both play a big role as well i'm so happy you said the quality of food i don't think you realize how many people we've not necessarily gotten in fights with, but had to argue that what you're putting into your body matters. I think there's a very large argument amongst people who, and honestly, some health professionals that are like, you can eat whatever you want. You know, it's all about mental health too. You don't want to stress yourself out. But I think there's such a good argument that you just made that it's important because you also have to feel good inside in order to be able to take care of your life tasks and make sure you're moving daily and you know, feel good doing it. And I, I just think that's so important. And I think I think there's a lot to say with what your goals are, right? So mm -hmm. whenever I give such advice, I would always look for the long term. Like what is more sustainable and what will keep your weight off as long as possible. And that's where I think the quality of food matters more because if you are a weight loss expert and you say you can eat whatever you want as long as the total calorie calorie count is less than what you burn off they're right like you will lose weight in the short term but mm -hmm. then what right the goal here is not just to lose weight a lot of people focus so much on losing weight and not keeping the weight off that is the problem and on top of that if we're looking at metabolic flexibility or healthiness we're looking at insulin resistance. We're looking at different signalings between, um, you know, your organs, uh, between pancreatic beta cells and your muscle cells, and how good they metabolize all these substrates. Like the quality of food affects them. You know, it it sends out signals to these different cells. So it's not as easy as okay if you lose weight then these dysfunction will just go off on its own yes most of the time it does because you know just cutting out processed food for example you can lose weight and you can feel healthier but if you are really calculative and really like processed food and then you say i'm just having a thousand five hundred calories worth of processed food today you may lose weight but then how do you feel after and then what's your right. mental health like what's your gut health like so we we like to say fit does not equal healthy. And I think that summarizes it quite well. Of If you can look good and feel like complete shit. And that's how I felt for years. When I stopped playing softball in college, I started following fitness influencers and I started emulating what they were doing. I was counting my calories. I was taking pre-workout, having all the same protein powders that they were using. But I had horrible acne. I couldn't sleep. My anxiety sucked. I was throwing up, which was a whole different issue. But she I, had a six pack, right? But I had a six pack, right? So hey, that's the dream, right? right? A lot of people yeah. like that. Like that's all it takes. That's all you need. You know, you just need to post your six pack on Instagram, right? and you get followers, and right. you know that's you need, and then you get paid to look good, right? Um, and then they realize there's more to life than a six pack. Exactly. And you see over time, we've seen a ton of those fitness influencers that I followed and followed their protocols come out and say, I've actually had to make changes because I don't feel good. And we're like, yeah, we've known this for years, but thank you for admitting it publicly. But I do think that that's, it's something that women, I think, women and men struggle with, but I think women, especially because we're taught at such a young age that we have to watch our calories and we don't, we don't burn as much as, as men do. And the dad bod became 
really popular, which like great for men. If the mom bod ever comes in, I think that's going to take a lot of pressure yeah. off of women. But I, I do think that that's really important. You, you've talked a lot about insulin resistance in the past few minutes at the very basic level. And then we can get into it a little bit. What does that mean? So insulin resistance is essentially your organs not responding to insulin. So as we know, insulin is being secreted by your pancreas. It's being secreted as a signaling hormone to signal the other parts of your body to pull in the blood glucose that you have increased after a meal. So I have a meal. Mm -hmm. what and then does your it... blood sugar increases. Right. And then your pancreas secretes insulin. That's a signal that says, hey, you've got excess sugar in your blood now. Um, and why don't you pull it in? Either you pull it in because you want to use it for energy or you should just store it instead of having it run wild in your blood. And if you have insulin resistance, then what happens when you eat the food? When you eat the food, um, so let's take muscle cells, for example. Your muscle cells um, has insulin receptors on its uh, at the, the surface of the cell. And the insulin receptors basically receive the insulin as the signal and says, okay, I'm going to kickstart this whole cascade of, of pathway that brings in the sugar. But if they're resistant, they are essentially not accepting the insulin. You know, the, the gate is, is closed. The key is not getting in into the keyhole. So they are, they are just saying, I'm not taking in any insulin. And therefore, your blood glucose level will stay high. So as a result, your pancreas will try to secrete more insulin over time because it's getting signaled that says, hey, your blood glucose is still very high and your muscles are not taking in. So surely there's not enough insulin. So let's pump in more. Over time, your pancreas get overworked and then it, it fails ultimately. And that's when you get type 2 diabetes. Oh, interesting. So if you are someone that has insulin resistance, what does that feel like? That's a very good question. <laughs> okay. um, it's, it's, a, it's a spectrum. So okay. people may experience insulin resistance from a very mild version to a very severe version. Um, up until like development of type 2 diabetes. So it's, it's really hard to say how you feel, but I think most people could agree that if you look at objective measures of blood glucose, some may see an in increased uh, blood glucose level, even, you know, after you uh, eat, like compared to normal, compared to normal healthy people. Do note that sometimes your blood glucose level might be normal, but you might still have insulin resistance because your body is overcompensating by secreting more insulin. So your blood glucose is, is controlled, but your insulin is way higher. So you have mm -hmm. a hyperinsulinemia. So that way, the only way to figure out that you have insulin resistance at that point is to measure your insulin levels. And so I think even to break it down a little bit more, when we eat a meal, say we're consuming a protein, a carb, and a fat. Mm -hmm. Carb is glucose, but in what cases, because I know type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance is plaguing the United States. Mm -hmm. It's even plaguing people our age, right? It's, I would refer to it as epidemic, if you will, or... I mean, 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Yeah, so that's right. a big issue. 88% of Americans... Are metabolically unhealthy, oh, and like I believe, like more than half um, of Americans are, are obese. That eighty-eight percent is like very highly likely to develop 
chronic diseases, right? Diabetes and cardiovascular disease and all of that. So when you eat carbs, fats and proteins, so carbs will eventually turn into glucose after Mm -hmm. the digestion, and that will have the highest insulin reaction or insulin response. Protein will increase insulin by a little bit and fats generally don't really increase insulin. That's why a lot of people go on ketogenic diet when they have you know, insulin resistance or when they have diabetes, they go on ketogenic diet to try and fix that problem because um, our bodies are also very good at repairing itself. So if you give time and you, if you don't keep doing damage to your body, it should recover, especially if your pancreatic beta cells are not at the point where it just completely died off and you have to, you have to depend on injections of insulin, then you should, to a certain extent, recover a certain amount of insulin sensitivity in your body. But if you keep pushing a lot of glucose into your body and increase the insult to your cells, then that's when it becomes too late to to remedy. Okay, I'm glad that you said it's reversible because I think that's a really good point to know is that there are changes that you can make. So when it comes to insulin resistance, 88 of the percent of the population metabolically unhealthy what are things that people can do maybe it's someone our age uh higher 20s who could be struggling with this and to be honest i actually when i got blood tests done a few years ago i had higher insulin levels which was scary because i was like me i don't look like i do right yeah. most of but the time we don't look it that's the thing exactly and a lot of people don't realize that it's like you don't need to look sick you don't mm-hmm. need to look ill to have insulin resistance like most of the time you don't even know you have it because of your certain lifestyle and most of the time we think we're in our 20s you know we can't we're invincible we can eat anything we want we can do whatever we want and we'll deal with this consequence later in life because it won't show up so until later yeah before you answer jenna's question yes how do we know if you're sitting if you're listening to this podcast and you're like i think i look fine I don't look like I have insulin resistance. You're saying that doesn't really matter. What are some things we can do to check? Most people do um, uh, the annual checkup and the, your doctors would, you know, measure all your liver enzyme, your your kidney function, your blood glucose levels, especially faucet blood glucose levels. Um, that generally, you know, will tell you something. Um, most younger people, they won't have blood glucose problem um, and if they do measure insulin then they'll give you a much clearer picture as well so like annual checkup go to your doctor you know and it's and in this case ignorance is not bliss because knowing early it means that you can do way more in order to reverse it you know when i did my phd i did my phd in cardiovascular disease and diabetes and at that point we always thought that diabetes is irreversible once you get diagnosed with diabetes that's it you're over right you just have to be on medication for the rest of your life and you have to deal with the complications as it gets worse and worse but um verta health this company um based in san francisco they use ketogenic diet to reverse diabetes and they have a lot of clinical studies two years three years five years follow-up even 10 years i believe that they showed people got off medication and reverse their diabetes and remain um healthy so i think it it really depends on at what stage your pancreatic beta cells are at at that point whether they are completely dysfunctional and can't produce insulin anymore or they are just 
slightly compromised and dysfunctional and therefore you can still remedy it by changing your lifestyle so lifestyle intervention is a big big factor here in reversing chronic diseases and insulin resistance the reason why a lot of doctors and actually a lot of doctors now are starting to talk about it and starting to implement it the reason why a lot of pharmaceutical companies do not talk about it is because lifestyle intervention is free it's literally <laughs> you just change your lifestyle and eat healthier it does not bring the big companies money and that's why they don't prescribe you know a healthy lifestyle they prescribe drugs which then earn their money i understand like you need to run a business you need to pay wages everyone needs to get you know pay the bills but ultimately let's let's be clever like cleverer here and look at us as a collective the more healthier people are the more productive we are and the further we can push human civilization and advancement in technology rather than hoping that people get sick and that's just a very narrow-minded way of thinking and seeing things where hoping people get sick we give them the drug to solve them. we create a problem we we create the solution and then we sell the solution amen this is like <laughs> one of the favorite like oh. things someone's ever said on our podcast because right. i couldn't agree more there's a book called metabolical and it it kind of exposes that it actually doesn't really talk that much about your metabolism but it talks about the cycle that you just talked about where is it robert um it might be yeah. I'm, I'm not sure who the author is but it just exposes it makes you open up your eyes it, it exposes the truth behind our medical system and yeah people are sick we give them drugs we make money people are sick we don't make them feel better so they need the drugs to me this is a huge wake-up call of if you are in your 20s or 30s or 40s, wherever you are, it's not too late. Is there a certain panel you would recommend or something? Like if I go to my doctor next week and I say, I would like this tested, what do I say? I would definitely refer to your doctor on that because I'm not a medical doctor myself. So I would usually just go for the general like liver, kidney, um, faster glucose, faster insulin, my lipids checked. Um, those are the standard uh, panel, but I'm sure if you have your family doctor, they will probably have a much more detailed information on your family history, which will then, you know, add on to that panel as to what they should be checking and looking out for. Yeah, I, I think it's hard because I agree with you. I think that your family doctor should be able to point you in the right direction. But I think a lot of times our doctors aren't set up that way. And so it's kind of a roll of the dice to know if you have a doctor that wants to help you get ahead of things. I've been dismissed by so many doctors that are, when I went to my OBGYN, I wanted my hormones tested. And he said, there's nothing they'll find by getting them tested. Especially when you're younger, they just dismiss you. And that, that's you're true. Healthy. I agree. I yeah. agree with you. That's why I'm I'm lucky that I have a lot of doctor friends that I literally can like, pick up a call right. and hey, like there's something <laughs> wrong. Like what should I look at? So I yeah. myself, because I don't work in a, a clinic, so it's, sure. it's difficult for me to give direct um, advice on that. But like sure. I said, I usually that's what I usually do. You know, kidney tests, liver tests, um, uh, faster blood glucose, lipids, insulin. And that list is really helpful because then someone can come in and say, I want these things because I know for a fact that I, I want to make sure that my insulin levels are in the right 
region and that I don't have any issues to look out for. And that way we can at least arm people to be their own health advocates there. And if your doctor's like, yeah, let's do it, then more power to them. But if they're not, then at least you have a list of things. And again, this is not medical advice. So um, it's just, you know, recommendations based off of what you've seen with all of your research. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, what's important to understand is Yes, insulin resistance can lead to type 2 diabetes, but insulin resistance is not just like a, oh, I might not know. There are symptoms and issues that arise from it, right? Energy levels aren't great. Hormones. Can you go a little bit into what people typically see if they are experiencing that? The problem with that is that even if I tell you what you would experience, like you said, you feel fatigue, you feel energy levels. And the problem is that most people, they don't know that they are experiencing that because it happens in a from a gradual point of view. Yeah. It happens very, very gradually. So over time, you know, it's like how you don't notice the change on your face where, you know, o- over three months, but then when you go back home and you see your family and your relative, they're like, oh, you've, you know, you've done something or like something changed or like you lost weight. We don't notice that because we see ourselves every day. So we experience our lives every day and it changes slowly and slowly from a very gradual, like little increment. So from that point of view, it's really difficult. Um, but if you really, and, and and I don't want to encourage people to be hypochondria either. It's like, oh my right. God, like I'm, I'm really <laughs> sick. Like I have all these diseases or I have yeah. a stroke. Um, I, I want people to really listen to their bodies. And, you know, if they're generally living healthy, um, just assume that they are going to be healthy. Do you know what I mean? If if your sleep is on point, if and there's so many trackers around here um, mm-hmm. these days, you get like Aura Ring to track your sleep. You have like um, Whoop and track. You have uh, Fitbit. You have um, you know beds that that track your sleep quality. If your sleep is on point, if your stress level is on point, if you don't feel like you're just stressed all the time, you can you know you can, if you do meditation or breath work or whatever. And then you are exercising regularly and you're not eating a lot of processed food. I think those are even easier to track than, quote unquote, your, your, how you feel. The symptoms. Okay. I like that. Yeah. No, that's, that's super helpful. I think like tracking your behavior and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then that corresponds to how you should be inside. No, right. that makes sense. Jenna had mentioned it earlier about protein, fat and carb and more so in older generations, but I think fat still has a pretty bad reputation in all generations of fat is bad. And we know that that's not the case. Our grandpa, actually, he had open heart surgery 25 years ago. He does no fat, no sugar. So he just eats a bunch of like, he's been doing that for 20, he eats protein and carbs. He's been doing it for 25 years. He's 93. We're not changing anything about him now. Right, right. For the people that still believe, like, you're looking for non-fat everything, non-fat milk, non-fat products, can you explain why maybe fat is not the demon the marketing agencies have made it out to be? And and this is interesting because, you know, obviously in our community where, you know, in HVMN, we sell exogenous ketones. We talk on our podcast, HVMN podcast, we talk a lot about metabolic health and we talk about low carbs and keto diet. Um, and if your listeners are interested, surely, you know, go check it out. Um, HVMN podcast that I host as well. But the problem here is not one substrate is always bad and the other substrate is always good. So I'm not on the camp that 
says fat is always bad or glucose is always bad. As I said earlier, metabolic uh, metabolically, you want to be flexible. Yeah. You want the metabolic uh, flexibility that allows you to use fat or sugar whenever the time calls for it. So I think that's the most important part here. Yes, fat can be helpful. Like I said, when you have insulin resistance and you have high amount of glucose at all times, the insults that you are giving to the cell will then increase that inflammation, will increase that, that feedback loop that will eventually damage your pancreatic beta cells. But overall, glucose is not that bad if you don't have processed food, if you don't have excess calories, and if you don't have seed oil. So you still need the glucose because if you think about it, if you fast or if you're on ketogenic diet, go measure your blood glucose. You will still have a baseline blood glucose at four, four to five uh, millimolar. And that shows how much your body needs glucose to survive. Because even when you do not consume glucose, your body is making glucose. So, 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 how... so now I'm switching over to fat. Okay. Because we were talking, so I just want to make, make it very clear. It's not... Sure. Like a substrate is a substrate is a substrate. Our bodies will use it. The reason fat has been demonized, and I sent you guys the, the paper yesterday and the mm -hmm. article uh, at New York Times in 2016, they published a paper showing that in the 60s, the um, Sugar Research Foundation, or right now as being known as the Sugar Association, paid an equivalent of uh, the, the present $50,000 to three scientists from Harvard that cherry-picked papers that shows that sugar is good and fat is bad and people should switch over from fat to sugar and over the past like you know 40 50 years we have come up with dietary guidelines that really put fat in a very bad position and say how much all the saturated fat is causing all these different diseases but even with all these changes and um, you know, all this increased consumption of sugar, we are seeing even higher amount of chronic diseases. diseases. So surely this does not make sense. I mean, I, I'm not, sh I'm sure that I'm not the only one here. You, you're looking at people saying that fat is bad and that we're eating more sugar and more processed food, but we're seeing an increasing amount of chronic diseases and metabolically unhealthy people. So there is a disconnect here. And now it's coming to light that these scientists are being paid off by industry that mm. to cover up essentially what um, is real. And as I said, like, you know, sugar is not all bad and not all good, but fat surely is not all bad either because we have seen in both clinical trials and anecdotal cases where people have reversed their chronic diseases by using keto diet, which is high fat, very restricted carbs, um, and and increase you know their metabolic flexibility. Do you have some simple guidelines for fat? Okay, so fat. First of all, um, more and more studies show that seed oil is not good for you. Um, and I'm sure you guys probably have talked a lot as well. Yeah. Um, seed oil in presence in the presence of excess calories in both processed food, processed sugar, and fat not a good combination, right? So if you are going for healthy fats, and a lot of people talk about healthy fats, fish, like, you know, whole fish rather than supplementation, I always go for salmon um, or cod. Those are easily 
obtainable healthy fats you can get. Um, and butter is actually good. Um, saturated fats butter. like steaks, uh, especially if you're doing high heat cooking, you want to use um, butter or ghee because they have a higher smoke point compared mm -hmm. to say olive oil. I only use olive oil and avocado oil, and I know avocado oil has higher smoke point as well. So it's um, depending on what I'm cooking, um, I will use one or the other. Trans fat, not good. So that, definitely stay away from that. A lot of people now starting to learn how to read nutrition facts because FDA requires companies to put nutrition facts and supplement facts on the back of their products. But most people don't really bother reading about it because this is a bunch of chemical names and I don't know what it is. And so I don't want to care, you know, as long as I know what, how much fat and how much sugar, but now people are starting to realize certain words, certain terms. Okay. This means this and, and sunflower oil and all that. And oleic acid, linoleic acid means like there's a seed oil. So people are starting to understand that. So when you go and buy your products, you know, the nutrition facts would be your friend, um, read them. And if you don't know, literally Google them, um, chat GPT them, you know, whatever <laughs> you, you need to do in this day and age uh, to find out what they are. And I think always go for whole foods, you know, a piece of steak, a, a piece of salmon filet. Those are always going to be top best choices. And then obviously I believe in veggies. I, I don't, I don't do a carnivore diet myself. Um, I have low carb, um, whole foods and uh, veggies and berries. Interesting. So say you're, for example, we were gifted these bars and pretty good ingredients, but sunflowers on the list. And we're not extremists to where we're going to avoid that. But this might be a hard question to answer. I think it's important to note that like, if we eat that, like all of a sudden our levels aren't going to go crazy, right? Like, I just want to make sure people understand that. Yeah. Um, you, it's 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 let's face it it's really difficult to avoid seed oil altogether especially yes. if you do want to go out have a good night you know have right. a good dinner with friends it's going to be impossible to 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 avoid it but you'll be surprised that just by consciously choosing your food how much of the seed oil you're cutting out in your life mm -hmm. so the goal is not like i mean the goal the ambitious goal here is like cut out altogether but obviously, if you can't, then avoid as much as you can. And I think there are certain right. studies that showed it's not the omega-6 that's the problem. It is the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 that's, a, that's the, the problem. So mm -hmm. if you're eating more like fish oil and, and salmon, and for example, you are increasing that omega-3, then hopefully that will balance out the occasional omega-6 seed oil that you're consuming. Right more data to follow i am following it closely as well to see what these researchers are showing us um and also you know nowadays i think the more conscious and aware people are the more um people realize that when they look at a research paper and when they look at a study they're going to look, look down all the way to the conflict of interest who is paying for the study right that's that's yes. a, a that's a really good like tip for people who are not in science go yeah. straight to conflict of interest see who pays for the study, who are the authors, what are their reputation and credibility, and then you go from there. I love it. It's like recently I made a video on, a commentary video on a section of CBS 60 Minute where two doctors talked about obesity 
And they said that the number one cause of obesity is genetics. And I absolutely disagree with that. And right. I went through that video bit, uh, you know, parts by parts and basically pointed out what the conflict of interests are. Because the two doctors who was interviewed, they are also advisors of the pharmaceutical company that sells the drug that helps with weight loss. Oh they did mention God. in the section, but it was like two seconds, right? But I pointed it out. And then because the whole section is says, okay, number one cause of obesity is genetics. Therefore, there's nothing you can do. But there is this drug that can help you lose weight, but you have to be on this drug for the rest of your life. But then you still have to get into a healthy habit of a healthy lifestyle. And I'm like, okay, that does not make sense to me. <laughs> um, so this drug is not a miracle drug, you know, and you still have to be it on for the rest of your life. And then you have to maintain a healthy lifestyle. I love this. Lots like research scientists during the day, I think because I, I come from a family, I, I, I grew up overweight all my life. Oh, wow. I come from a family with very high prevalence of diabetes and cardiovascular mm. disease. My late father actually had a ha open heart surgery as well. And then he had a stroke and he passed away about 20 years ago. So I had, you know, I grew up looking at my relatives thinking that that was my future because I didn't know better. As a kid, right. I was like, okay, this is how we eat, which is very unhealthy, um, like five times a day, like heavy carb meals. This is how I'm gonna look when I grow up because that's the only role model I've had until I went abroad and started studying about metabolism and physiology and I changed my diet and I started exercising and I, I made those changes and I saw those changes. So for you to just throw it in my face and say that, no, the number one cause of obesity is genetics, so, uh, you should have just taken this drug. And I'm like, no, like I have done it myself. And there are clinical studies that have also shown lifestyle intervention that, that has improved people's life and help people lose weight and keep the weight off. I love this so much because it's one thing when some healthy, super healthy person comes on and says, you know, look, you have to go look over here. It's another one. It's someone in the field, right? Like there are people just like you that have the same degrees as you that do very similar research. And they're the ones that are spreading false information in favor of large corporations. And I think it's important to hear it from people like us that are your everyday person just trying to be healthy, but it's really important to hear it from someone like you that understands those research papers to just a degree that Jenna and I don't. And quite frankly, like, don't really want to, right? Like, we yeah. want to rely on people like you who understand this information. So right. I think that's huge. And, and I hope that gives a, a lot of help to people who maybe come from similar backgrounds to know this doesn't have to be your future. And there are a lot of changes that you can actively make to, to turn that around. Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you that they know your body better than you. Mm. Because we have an entire life ahead of us to learn about our body. It's all about trying and error. Like, mm. see what food works for you. See what exercise works for you. See what lifestyle is sustainable to you. It's your body. Like, literally, there's there's nothing else to say to, to elaborate from that. And yeah. and granted, like, all these experts, you know, they are probably earning, like, four or five times what I earn because of the money that they're making off of six people. And to me, that's just unethical because, I don't know, for me... And the way I see life is a bit different. We can make millions and millions, but there's only one life. I would rather live with integrity and live happily. And a lot of people are like, wow, if you see like 2 million, if you see like $500 million, you might change your view. 
we'll we'll talk when we get there. But <laughs> right now, I'm not doing bad, but I still feel like I should, you know, I want to live my life in truth to myself and to whoever I speak to. Um, that's the whole reason why I study science. That's the whole reason why I got into um, chronic diseases because I come from a family with high prevalence of these diseases and I wanted to help them. And then I realized I can use this knowledge to help even larger um, uh, population. So why not? And another tip, by the way, uh, for research papers, if you read research paper, not every research paper may be applicable to you. So another, mm -hmm. another trick is you go to the methods section Look at the population of the people that they experiment on. If you can relate to those people, then it may be applicable to you. For example, if a study says, we use 12 elite cyclists that goes on Tour de France to use the, on this performance. If you are not an elite cyclist, your metabolism might be a bit different and you may not be fully um, able to apply the findings of this study onto your lifestyle. But do try it. And, you know, if the protocol seems interesting to you and you want to go ahead and try it, do try it and see how you feel. Same thing if they are experimenting on 60 to 80-year-olds women. And if you're a 25-year-old man, you know that is not directly applicable to you. Right. So just because a study says that, you know, this is bad for you, this is good for you, and then you just like run with it. This might sound silly, but you've really inspired me actually to read more research papers because... I've always wondered, you see studies shown, but I don't, like I told you, science has always been something that overwhelms me. So the last thing I'm going to do is pick up a research paper. But now that you've given us all these tips and tricks, where would I find one? Like, where are some places PubMed. that, where is it? PubMed. P-U-B-M-E-D? Yeah. yeah. Okay, That's PubMed. The, the main hub, I mean, I, I lived on PubMed when, you know, doing all my studies and getting all the research papers so that oh, is great. if you go on pubmed you search whatever you want to search cause of insulin resistance you'll find thousands of papers um cool. from like you know back in the 50s 60s till like now and um there will be some papers which are way more technical with the biochemical terms and all of that and there will be some papers which are more tailored towards um layman you know review papers so this is another thing so the original research papers versus review papers original research papers is basically scientists running clinical studies or animal studies and they do the experiment and they like they they outline um the methods as well as discuss the results review papers usually they're not research in terms of they're not the one doing the um physical like clinical research and whatnot but they are doing the research in terms of literature research so they compile all the studies that have mm -hmm. been um in this area that have been published into one big paper and say that this is what we think now um what has mm -hmm. been shown this is positive this is negative this is positive then negative but as a conclusion this is what we found that sounds more my speed where yeah. I should start. Yeah. Review papers usually is a more overarching sort of theme and, and a much generalized, much more generalized and, and help people understand certain concepts better. Cool. I just wanted to piggyback off real quick about what you said um, regarding, you know, wanting to do what you do in a way that's actually benefiting people and empowering them because Again, you could throw the medications, you know, in people's faces, but 
from what we've witnessed, and I'm just really happy for people to hear this conversation because I still think medications are things that people think is what they have to look forward to. When we were younger, we thought that because we saw our grandparents constantly take literally, I think, 10 medications each. I'm not kidding. And mm. and it's helpful to understand, especially from someone like yourself within PhD, that medication isn't necessarily the end result or maybe doesn't need to be at all. I think there's a lot of people who still don't know and realize that. So we're definitely grateful for people like yourself. Yeah, for sure. But one thing I have to add, though, like, you know, we can't we, we also have to acknowledge the advancement in medicine the oh, absolutely in in technology that has significantly increased our lifespan and mm -hmm. eradicated a lot of um pandemic and these are you know evidence-based medicine right sure. we, we know vaccines mm -hmm. work we know um that's a big issue these days but <laughs> right. you know we know vaccines like polio for 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 all the the eradicated you know like sure. um uh, tuberculosis and all of that and we know um, antibiotics work you know whenever we have infection like mm -hmm. we can we know that that works mm -hmm. but as far as chronic disease is concerned at least for me um, always try and figure out the root cause mm -hmm. and it's usually driven by lifestyle yeah. and then address the lifestyle changes that address the um, root cause before you know, you have to jump on the medication because doctors are still adapting to it. But I think generally they are trained to first and foremost, treat the symptoms. Okay. If you have high blood pressure, I'm going to give you medication that lowers your blood pressure because that right. decreases your risk of developing further complications like cardiovascular disease. So you see the line of thinking there, right? It's rational, it's logical, but what if you can, you know, figure that out first and you say, okay, I'm eating too much processed food. Yes, I'm eating all these fats, but these are like trans fat and like refried fats and, right. and super hydrogenated fats. Um, and that's why my, my blood pressure is going up. So what if I cut out these, give me, you know, three weeks, a month, three months, and then let me remeasure my, my blood pressure. And if I improve it, then I don't have to be on medication. I can right. save money and I can save myself the grief. You've given us so much in this episode that I think are really tangible tips. And not only have you opened our eyes and our listeners' eyes up to being your own health advocate, but you've you've given us so many insights into things that Jen and I really haven't touched on. Insulin, uh, metabolism, those are not things that we're super well-versed on, Jenna, more than me, but... Uh, we both thank you so much for yeah. for being on today. I, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this episode. And I think that there's a lot of ways that people can take the information you gave today and apply it to their own lives. And that's what we consider a success. So it's an honor to be you. on your platform. And thank you for for providing your platform and your audience to me to be able to, you know, like I said, the whole reason of me doing what I do is to be able to spread this information and stop misinformation and make sure that people can make their own informed decisions. I'm all about like them making their own decision. I'm not here to tell them eat more fat or eat more sugar. I'm telling them all this information, all this science data that's out there. Now you can go trial and error and figure out mm -hmm. your body. So if you want to learn more about me as well, I'm, I'm at Latmansor, L-A-T-T-M-A-N-S-O-R on all social media and check out HVMN podcast that I host. Cool. We'll put the links to you on the, our show notes so people can find you there. Perfect. 
Thank you. Thank you.